So this is our, our final week of Advent. Advent meaning expectant waiting, expectant hope. It's the beginning of the calendar of the church. Uh, Advent marks the beginning of the church calendar. And the reason is because it's the time when we're expecting Jesus, the presence of God, kingdom of heaven come to earth in our midst, in our dwelling. And I am so thankful for Advent this year uh, because I, I think there's so much to feel cynical about in, in our world, so many things that aren't turning out the way any of us had hoped or expected that when we look two years ago to the future or five years ago to the future, probably none of us expected what the past couple of years have been like. And um, as I was meditating on this passage and, and praying over it and frankly wrestling with the cynicism and uh, despair that I feel uh, at different points in my own, own life, and my own heart, I was thinking about the cure for cynicism. What, what might the cure be for cynicism? And it's not better thinking. That's, that, that didn't work. I haven't seen that work for anybody uh, by itself. It's not, uh, it, it's not um, just exercising more, although that could help. But I think it's actually something, it sounds, it can even sound trite to say it, but I think it's love. I think that love is the cure for cynicism. And as I look at this story, as I've thought about this story and prayed over it, I've found it really fascinating that in the midst of this, uh, this story and this prophecy of this savior that would come, to, to change the entire world and to bring home the people that were lost and to restore the world to sanity, uh, the writer of Luke mentioning in the beginning of his letter that he'd taken painstaking, careful details and observations to, to find this story from its beginning, he found it really important to spend several verses on this meeting of these two pregnant women and their interaction with each other and the interaction even with the, the children inside of them and the Holy Spirit working through them. And I thought, man, what, a, what an incredible picture of love taking place in a seemingly ordinary type event that was included in this gospel that's supposed to be this, you know, the most important a document in, in, a, in a Christian's life, maybe in the, in the scope of the world from our perspective, that we see this really loving, ordinary encounter. And so I want us to look at this, and I want us to look at it through the lens of where love belongs. That's what I've, that's what I've titled this sermon. Where does love belong in your life in our world? Is it, is it something for people who are less serious-minded, who aren't so cynical and they're naive? Or is there a different place that love belongs in our midst? 
when I was a teenager, I'm about to tell y'all something pretty embarrassing here, okay? When I was a teenager, uh, I, uh, when I was like 14 or 15, I was, I was pretty shy in, in high school. Might be hard for some of you to believe, but it's true. Uh, and I would think about talking to girls and I would think, well, that's, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't work out too good, so let me think about something else that would work out really good. And I thought, well, maybe there could be, maybe if the school caught on fire, not by me, I wasn't going to set the fire. Just clarify that right off the bat. Maybe, though, if there was some kind of emergency, a fire or something, that was kind of before school shootings became normal, um, uh, I could save some cheerleaders. Yeah. So I regularly fantasized about somebody coming to the door and smoke coming in, like in the classroom, like, there's a fire. And I would stand up. I would be the only one calm and all the other uh, good looking guys would be freaking out and crying and stuff. And I would grab a desk and I would bust out the window and then I'd grab people's jackets and put it over the broken glass and help people get out. And then, uh, and then I would be you know, I'd have like a bunch of girlfriends from that experience because I'd be really tough and brave and that kind of thing. I told you it was embarrassing. And uh, I think part of, part of the reason why I thought that is because genuine love is really scary, isn't it? it you know, like I'm not talking about like the, the sentimental type of uh, hallmark love where everything kind of works out and the guy always has washboard abs and has a, a six-figure uh, salary and just, like, is, is widowed and has a cabin in the woods that's really beautiful, like that whole thing. Like, that's not scary. But actually being vulnerable enough to say, I want to be committed to you, I want to spend my life with you, I want to I share the deepest parts of my feelings and my thoughts and myself with you, that's, that's kind of scary. So in my teenage brain, it was less scary to have my school on fire and jump through a window than to deal with the actual intimacy that love could potentially take. It was scarier. In fact, when I was 18, I, uh, I was part of an after-school boxing ring. This is a less embarrassing story. And I, and I ended up boxing the star athlete of our school. And I didn't lose. I didn't win either, but I didn't lose. And after that, one of the prettiest girls in our high school came up and asked me if I'd give her a ride home. And that was the closest I had gotten to my dream, my daydream about the fire. And I actually didn't, I wasn't, it, it did not fulfill my desire for love. It did not, uh, it, it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. And so when we look at uh, this text in this story, that's what I want us to have in mind, that love is, is not this uh, just sappy, sentimental thing. It's actually the thing that requires more courage than I think anything else that a human being can embark upon. So let's, let's look here and, and see what happens in this story. And actually, I want to start a few verses before where we read, where the lectionary began, to see how Mary ends up on this journey to go see her cousin Elizabeth. 
So in verse 35, she's visited by this angel and the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the angel's language is reminiscent of the Spirit of God hovering over the unformed creation of the world and breathing it into life. The angel is telling Mary, your womb is like gonna be the same as the birth of the cosmos. That's scary. And then in verse 36, the angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary responds and says, nah, I'm out. I'm not doing this. No, she doesn't say that. She says something a lot braver than most of us would be able to do. She says in verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And then our reading starts. So right after that, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So this angel visits her and says, your womb is gonna be the birth of the cosmos where, where God comes to earth. And Mary's like, okay, uh, let's, let's, let's do that. And also, you've got a friend who has, is having something, not the exact same, but something similar happen, your cousin Elizabeth. And uh, it's the word cousin. We don't know if she's a cousin, but, uh, you know, in the South and in black culture, like, everybody's your cousin. So it's, that's, that's kind of what it was. That's kind of like that. She's your cousin. Um, and, uh, and, she, and the angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. And I don't, I don't know how much the angel knew. I don't know how like in tune angels are with human emotions and stuff like that. Or if, if, if the angel just thought, oh yeah, that's just like a good little piece of thing so Mary can have faith and all that. But what we see is Mary after hearing that, she's like, okay, let that be done to me. And then, uh, and then right after the angel leaves, she starts packing up her stuff. She gets her best head wrap and, and her loads up her phone with the, her favorite songs and, and gets her favorite pair of headphones. And she saddles up on the camel and, and her bus passes all in her pocket and she, she heads out on a really far journey, 50 mile journey to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And I wonder, I wonder just what God meant by that, like sending the angel to say that. I wonder if God was thinking, uh, I know this is exactly the kind of encouragement that Mary needs to go visit her friend who's dealing with something similar. I know this is gonna be a crazy thing for her to have to deal with and that uh, they can empathize with each other. And I wonder if you have thoughts like that about God. I wonder if you have thoughts that are that personal about what God might care about in your situation. That God might want to put people in your life that you still have to risk, you still might have to make a journey, you still might have to, to, to put yourself on the line, but people around you that are in your life that can empathize with what's going on with you. 
that what's going on in your world, in your cosmos, and if you are awake to that idea, if you have the spirit of Advent about that, that you're looking out at the people in your life and saying, there might be somebody in my sphere that I still have to risk something to go see, to feel less lonely with, but that will empathize with where I'm at and that I can find community and care in that way. So she heads out and she comes, she gets there. She comes into Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. You know, she, she might not have greeted Zachariah because we just didn't hear about that, but also this might come up later. Zachariah can't talk right now because we find out elsewhere when the angel told Zachariah, your wife's gonna have a baby, he's like, I don't believe you really. I don't think that's gonna happen. And the angel said, well, then you don't get to talk until the baby's born. So, you know, the lens, the things we notice in the Bible have to do with what people taught us to notice about the Bible. And one of the things that's very difficult for me not to notice here is that the men are silenced right now in this whole story. And the women have the clearest, most prophetic and full of love understanding about the most important things going on in the world right now. That's pretty cool. Two pregnant ladies talking and they know more about the destiny of mankind and all the philosophers and their towers and all the kings and all these important people. It's why no matter what I learn about the historical context of the scriptures, no matter what I learn about comparative religion, I'm just always struck at the bare humility in which the scriptures proclaim about this God, this Jesus, who had the most humble and unorthodox bring a uh, 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 coming into the world. It just, it always strikes me as something to wonder and be amazed about and to feel love and care for in. So they meet each other and we don't see that uh, Elizabeth is jealous or having a catty response to uh, Mary. She's actually uh, super excited about what's going on. And uh, I wonder though um, about that. I wonder about that, that type of situation where um, you get something good, you find out you've gotten something good. So Elizabeth couldn't have a baby and then she, now she's getting to have one. And then her relative, her cousin, 14 year old Mary has a baby. And you think that'd be like a cause for a lot of maybe some kind of jealousy or envy, like I had to wait my whole life and here Mary is barely able to conceive uh, age-wise and she's having a baby. And uh, I don't know a lot about like the whole women catty jealousy envy thing. I just know about it from like movies and, and it's like some memes and stuff. So I don't know. I, only thing I can think of is like when guys are jealous of each other, they like might challenge each other to a push-up contest or you know, um, just find another way to like measure accomplishments or, or achievements. I have 
unfortunately partaken in more than one push-up contest in my life, just so just while I'm being honest about embarrassing stories uh, in, my, in my life. But Elizabeth, she had reasons why she could have felt bitter, why she could have felt like, hey, this isn't, this isn't fair um, that Mary has this at this point in her life, and here I am old and just now experiencing uh, some of these things, but she's not. She's, she's caught up in something bigger in the moment, a bigger celebration, a bigger reason to rejoice. And I think it's because she, like Mary, her eyes are wide open to the possibilities of love, the expectant hope of what the future is going to bring. And so she is able to actually kind of not make herself for a moment the center of the story. That's our default, by the way, that we're the center of the story because we think our own thoughts. We have our own feelings. That's how we interpret the world. So the conclusion we come to almost without thinking is we're kind of in the center of this. It, it kind of makes me think about a, a woman like Elizabeth, though, that's pregnant. It's kind of hard to think of yourself as the center of the universe when another life, and in Mary's case, a whole other like, universe is forming inside of you. Which all I'm saying is, man, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad there's women. I'm glad there's not just like a, a, a planet full of dudes. I mean, let's be honest, that wouldn't have lasted very long anyways. That's, we would have killed ourselves with push-up contests a long time ago. Um, but but here's, here's what I want to bring up, is what if you are envious when other people have things to celebrate? What if you are unable to rejoice in the things that are going on around you and other people's lives to celebrate and to imagine how good that person must be feeling and to be present with them. Here, here, here's what I want to say. If you're captive to envy, it alerts you to your need of more love and belonging in your own life. Okay? Envy is, is another pathway into cynicism. Well, things don't work out for me anyways. Somebody else always gets this. It's, it's almost a, a light version of on the radio. Uh, I never win anything. That's amazing. I won something on the radio, right? That whole disposition of it's always somebody else who's getting something. And what I've found in my own life and what I've seen in the life of others, if you, if you find yourself unable to rejoice, unable to be awake and alert with expectant hope to what's happening around you, you're, so you're captive to envy, it might be that you need more love and belonging in your own life. That the wounds and the absence of those things at some point in your life are shaping your perspective of the world. And I'm thankful again for this story because it shows me a tender God who, as Mary prays and sings in her, in her song called the Magnificat, who exalts the humble and the lowly, a God who cares about the nuances of how two pregnant women might feel and how they'd feel better if they were together and spent three months together. 
which by the way would have been the end of Elizabeth's term when she had John the Baptist. Does anybody else, when you imagine the birth of John the Baptist, does he have a beard like even coming out of the womb? He's like coming out of the womb and he's got his camel hair on and he's already got a beard and he's not cute. He like already, his face already looks like a 35 year old. And everybody's like telling Elizabeth, no, he's cute, he's, yes, oh, he's adorable, right? Everybody's baby's always cute to them, right? Verse 41. Just stop there before I dig myself into a hole. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the the baby inside of her actually jumps. This is a, a crazy, incredible, intimate, and bonding moment between these two women. In the space of all this craziness going on, there's a room for this love and affection and attention between them. And it says in verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. So through this love, through the actual child inside of Elizabeth and through, we are told here, the actual Holy Spirit speaking through her is exclaiming the blessing of this child. There's just, there's so much love and intimacy in this passage. I just want to draw your attention to that, that Elizabeth is so, she's so out of her own stuff, her own selfishness, her own things that she can just celebrate and rejoice. And we need more of that in our lives. We, this Advent reminds us that we can have that, that we don't have to fall prey to cynicism every day, that we can find and go after love in our life and our world, and that the God that we are seeking and that seeking us is centered in that love. So verse 33, Lizzie, she kind of comes out of her her rapturous moment and she says but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me it's almost she's experiencing the exact opposite of envy she's in awe and has an incredible gratitude that she gets to experience this moment is there anything in, in, in your life that you can think about that that's like that for you where you're just like man I'm just so thankful to get to it be in this moment to ex- experience this time right now. That m- maybe you were taught not to open, that it's too naive to open yourself up to that type of thinking because it's going to end, it's going to fade, it's going to go away. And so I'm not going to allow myself to think those kinds of thoughts, to engage in wonder. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is a gift of God, that God wants us to experience and engage in that wonder of, I can't believe I get this moment right here, right now, even if it only lasts for a few seconds, I'm gonna cherish it. Like, it's like watching a little kid eat a donut, right? Which I watch just about every Sunday. They're not, wor- they're not thinking at all about the moment when that donut's gone. They are completely in the moment of enjoying that donut. You ever seen a kid finish something that they love and then start crying right after it's gone? <laughs> like they didn't even realize the- this was ever gonna end. 
So they're eating it and then it's gone and then they get sad and upset. I, I, I wish I could go back to that, that way of receiving love. And I can't do that, but I can open myself up to wonder and say, even if it only lasts a moment, even if it's just for today, even if it's just for right now, that I want to receive the love and the gift of this moment. That's something I'm reminded of in this experience between these two expectant mothers. I think about that with my baby Xavier uh, right now. He's two and a half and he gives me these hugs and he, he, they're so tight and he's, he's the only, he, I mean, he's got incredible comprehension for a two-year-old. He's the only one of my three that at two, he would just look at me and say, I love you so much. I'm gonna give you a hug. And I'm embracing that moment, knowing it's not gonna last forever. And one day he's gonna be a teenager. And actually in two minutes, I'm gonna change his diaper and he's gonna tell me that he doesn't love me and that he actually thinks I'm mean. But in that moment, I'm gonna embrace the love that he's uh, expressing to me. In verse 44, it says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Looking at this passage and seeing uh, Elizabeth continue uh, to, to speak blessings and to, to uh tell Mary what was going on inside of her, that the baby leaped for joy in, in her womb. And then blessing Mary for believing, for having faith in what, what God was doing. In this theme of love, what I wanna remind us of is that we as individuals are containers for great, great amounts of love. That, that as human beings, one of the things that we're designed for that's highlighted in this passage is to contain lots of love, lots of care, lots of adoration, of encouragement, of wonder, to contain those things within us. But not just us as individuals. I'm imagining Mary and Elizabeth standing facing each other, maybe they're holding hands, and in between them are these two baby bumps, right? This life that's forming in between them, and it's almost like they're, they're greeting and they're holding hands is creating a space, a communal space in a container for love to be birthed and to grow. And I've, I've thought a lot over the past year and a half about the container of our, our church and who is a part of that and how we have an incredible opportunity to be as a community, a container for love. We're, we're in the middle of a time, and I am, I am getting to the end of, of the sermon here. We're, we're in the middle of a time in which we can feel connected without ever being in another person's presence on some level through social media, through Facebook 
uh, feeds and in which we're trying to be protect one another from COVID-19 and so on and so forth. And so I've thought so much about the effects of that. And I've thought about this name for the church, this name the, called the body of Christ. I've been reflecting on that a lot, the body of Christ. Think about Mary and Elizabeth being, being pregnant and, and Mary being pregnant with the body of Jesus. And I think about our physical coming together of being in the same place, that there is, there is something to have wonder about in that. That it cannot be reproduced by listening to sermons on podcasts or even reading a book or, or any other way of doing activity solitarily. But I've continued to wonder about this. What does it mean for, for this church, because this is my church, so I'm thinking about this one, to be a container for love? And, and are we open to that? I think, I think we are, and I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. To, to affirm and celebrate and rejoice in each other. I want to say this to you all. You can't celebrate each other enough. You can't do it enough. We are great containers for love. Lizzie ain't holding nothing back. She's just rejoicing. She's just going nuts. You know what? She probably would be starting a live feed on her social media account right now. Like, oh my gosh, with my cousin Mary, like, Preggies, buddy, twinsies, whatever, right? And this container for love that we have as, as individuals, as friends, as uh, couples, as story groups and small groups, and as a congregation, that love, when it fills up enough, it spills over. It spills over into the world around us. And that's what happens with Mary. She's being filled up by all these blessings, all this celebration and rejoicing. And out of her bursts this song, the Magnificat, where she, she revels in the God that she knows, this, this God who's her savior, we could put it, put it uh, back up on the screen that starting in verse 46. Uh, the God who is her savior, the God who sees her, is mindful of her in her humble state and that she will be blessed from now on because of the things that God has done and is doing in her life. But then she also, starting in, in verse 51, she goes on to prophesy and describe what does it look like when this love spills over beyond the community in which it's birthed in. It says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This is no sentimental hallmark washboard ab dude love. This is a love 
that lifts up the humble and scatters the proud and the rulers who are unjust and unloving in how they live. This is a love that, in verse 53, fills the hungry with good things and sends away those who are rich. And this doesn't just mean like you have money, but it means the, the, those who are greedy sends, uh, sends those away empty. This is a God who remembers This is a God who delivers on the promises that God has made. And then in verse 56, the scriptures let us know that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months before returning home, that they continued to share and encourage and love one another until the time of the birth of that love gave birth to bearded John the Baptist. So if it hasn't been clear to you yet, I'm ending this time and reminding us that there are moments outside of us and around us all the time that are pregnant with the possibility of love, with the possibility of hopeful expectation that we can connect, that we can love each other, that we can fill up this container of love that we have and that that love can spill over into our world. So let's go to the table together and um, receive uh, from, from our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this morning, for this Advent season, and for all the ways that we can reflect on and remember and encounter your love for us. Amen.